welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Miniash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Stickey. And we have an interesting conversation today, but before we do that, we're going to do the less wrong posts like we always do, right guys? Just like, like we always. Like we do last time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. It was good times having, uh, having Wes on last time. Wish I could have been here. It was. Uh, speaking of good times, I listened to the uh, Mind Killers episodes. I finally got caught up on the backlog, including the most recent one, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Is well. your mind currently dead? <laughs> uh, yes, but for other reasons. <laughs> okay, good enough. All right. So our... we have some sequences. Yes, our first sequence today is called Positive Bias, Look Into the Dark. Um I just want to make sure that is the one we're on, because I missed last week, but then you didn't do last week's? I think we're doing, yep. yeah, positive bias and say no to complexity. Okay, good. All right. And we can just skip positive bias, because everyone here has read Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, and <laughs> if they listened to the companion podcast, we want more. We covered this in, I think, Chapter 8, which I think went by the same name. So... I think we could do it again, though, because... I'm just there's... kidding. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> we're all rationalists already. We don't need these sequences. <laughs> yeah we're all we're already perfectly sane and i mean people who are coming back listening to archives afterwards are not necessarily listening to things in the same order so maybe they're going to get to the uh we want more after they're done with this or whatever i was confused because these are in the opposite order on lesswrong.com oh really <laughs> yeah saying that complexity comes before positive bias oh but i think that they kind of i don't know does it matter what order they're in Kind of, yeah. but not really. Not particularly. Positive bias was posted on the 27th of August, 2007, and complexity was 28th. So, in in chronological order, this is correct. Hmm. So, let's start with positive. Excellent. Steven, you have told us what this is about already, so would you like to kick us off? Oh, sure. So, positive bias is essentially where... In, in a sentence, it's where you try to confirm a hypothesis rather than falsify it. And this is distinct from confirmation bias, because that's more like seeking out sources to fit with your pre-existing uh, position. And this is a more of like, all right, I've got this idea. Now I'm going to try to test to see if this idea is true rather than see if this idea is false. And what is the example he gave us that was later immortalized by Hermione Granger? The two four six task. Yeah, didn't they call it petals around the rose in the story? Or no, that was the one I used, and we want more because uh, Brian had already read the oh, chapter right. before okay. I gave it to him. <laughs> Which I stole from a, I might have been a uh, Alexander Wales two yeah, chapter. That fanfic. was the really good one that wrecked me. Uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Zombie. That one. Yeah. Hey, does anyone and, else want to be destroyed? Read that story. <laughs> no more emotions. Oh, speaking of being destroyed by stories, I just finished uh, the first Last of Us video game today. So, oh, damn. <laughs> uh, we did talk about that like uh, four or five years ago on the podcast. So everyone who wants to go find it, it was, I think, on our episode on like utilitarianism or something. So anyway, uh, the 246 task is essentially where, what was it? Peter Watt Wason, not Watson. Um <laughs> basically the the premise is i have a condition that the integers two four six um passes the condition 
And I want you to guess other numbers to see if it passes or fails. And then when you've done enough experiments, tell me what you think the condition is. Yeah, I think they gave them, I don't know if they gave them three or if that's just what they had as students guesses in the article. I want to say, I think they got three chances. No, no, no. It says you can test as many triplets as you like. Okay. Yeah, and the, and the one in the article is uh, one student's guessing. So they do 462, which returns a no, 468 returns a yes, and 101214 returns a yes. And I like this. At this point, the student wrote down their best guess at the rule. What do you think the rule is? <laughs> would you want to test another triplet? And if so, what would it be? Take a minute before continuing. Now, this isn't fair because we already all know the answer, the three of us anyway. Been... Yeah, I think if you've been reading the sequences, even if you don't know the answer, there should be something about Eliezer's tone there, at least to me, that was like, ha ha ha, you're trying to get me right now. <laughs> There's some trick here. I'll let Stephen reveal it. Oh, well, I guess the, <laughs> before I give the answer, it was, I think, uh, the replication of that study shows that there's a success rate on the first guess of about 20%, um, which means that 80% of people think they've got it and they haven't. So the actual, the rule is the three numbers must be in ascending order. And it's that simple. <laughs> people would, would make these convoluted rules or they would, um, you know, like again, four, six, eight, oh, increases by two each time. 10, 12, 14 also increases by two each time. Okay. The rule is it has to increase by two each time. And that's not it. So it's, it can be, uh, as long as they're in ascending order, that was the rule for this task. Yeah. Um, it's so that, um, it's a fun little test. And if you get a chance to test out on your friends or coworkers, it's a great way to uh, make friends and uh, <laughs> enemies. Yes, and enemies. Yeah. But the point is that the person who wrote down 468 and then 1012, it, it didn't occur to them to, it, it occurred to them to keep testing things that would confirm, but never testing one that would disconfirm by saying, for example, uh, 4610, because that would disconfirm their guess that it always goes up by two. And they never asked something like that. That's the generalizable lesson is if you have a hypothesis, try to see what wouldn't happen and test for that. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. I liked that. Um, It's further on in the article, but there was a really good line that I want. Yeah, here it is. We ought to think about both positive and negative examples, which automatically pops into your head. You have to learn wordlessly to zag instead of zig. You have to learn to flinch toward the zero instead of away from it. And that's hard. Like, it's rationality is not easy because it does mention this is like, I got this wrong. <laughs> or I think he says that he got it wrong when he tried it. Yes, he did. That was in the next. Yeah. He's like, so like, it's not like, it's not about being stupid or smart. It's about you have these instincts that you have to have some kind of heuristic to check for your, you're checking yourself constantly. I know that people are reliably wrong in this way. I know that I am a person. <laughs> it's hard to do, though. And that the subtitle of this uh, post, it's called Positive Bias, Look Into the Dark. And the reason he calls it Look Into the Dark is because looking for examples that prove you wrong kind of, like, feels bad. It's not natural. That's why he says look into the dark. Like, look for things that would prove you wrong or that would prove your hypothesis wrong, at any rate, to uh, find out whether the hypothesis is actually correct or not yeah i think this is a small scale example of what ended up leading to the uh replication crisis mm -hmm. where the same thing with you know scientists still want to get a yes sort of how we're i guess trained in school the whole 
ideas that this all rolls into, and uh, guessing the teacher's password and so forth, where we're kind of taught to be conformist. We're kind of taught to try to get a yes. Uh, I feel like it's almost kind of antisocial to look for a no. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point with the replication crisis. If you're always just looking for ways to confirm your data, that's much easier. But if you look for things that might disconfirm it, it's work that you know you don't want to do because then it disconfirms your idea. Well, and it's hard to get more funding when you say, yes, I showed there's nothing here. Right? <laughs> yes, so, that's um, another main thing. And this is like a nice, neutral, non-emotionally charged way to test this sort of general principle. But it gets like the, the look into the dark part where it's actually scary, where you have to flinch towards the scary thought rather than away from it, is when, you know, if you're considering something of, of emotional salience to you and... You know what? What would make my 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 important belief that I have? You know, this is just a hypothesis about some number game, right? But if you have like this important belief about, especially something political or whatever, um, trying to like even the idea of looking for numbers or looking for contradictory evidence just feels uncomfortable and wrong for, I think everybody or at least most yeah. people. Um, not I think I, you know if I were to count myself among them, even even rationalists like testing to see if my um, you know, emotionally salient political belief is true or false, or especially to see if it's false. Um, there's like a bit of a fear reaction there, and so mm. it, it's it's important to just face that and try to f be less wrong about stuff. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hey, <laughs> I remember. Uh, this was actually like a college professor I had. It was an art teacher, so maybe this gets more of a free pass, but. He was talking about something about, like, the, the mysteriousness of nature, and I, like, being a smartass, said something about, like, I knew the biology of how the thing he was describing works, so I said it, and he's like, ah, you scientists always trying to quantify things. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, that actually, that's what we're, that's exactly the, did you not, do you not know the scientific <laughs> method? Do you not realize this is the name <laughs> of the game? This is how the world works? <laughs> It's like that it ruins the beauty. You're destroying the rainbow by it's... running it through a prison or something. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that poet thought. I actually know what he thought. I'm just being intentionally obtuse about it. <laughs> it's because Keats was a uh, sour grapes nerd. And if you want the, the real awesomeness of it, check out Unweaving the Rainbow. That's going to be my fifth plug for that book on this show so far. <laughs> and uh, yeah, plus one. Should we go on to the next post then? Why don't you lead us in on this one, Inyash? This one's kind of fun. All right. This one is Say Not Complexity. So as far as I can tell from this one, it's basically he's saying, look, just saying something needs complexity is very much like saying uh, something is an emergent behavior. He says uh, he was talking with uh, someone he was working with on how to create an AI that could discover how to solve a Rubik's Cube. And several times in the discussion, the other person said, well, I think the AI needs complexity to X and complexity to do Y. And Eliezer said, don't, don't say complexity. Or I believe his words were, yeah, don't say complexity. All right. I, I, mm -hmm. I'm imagining him leaning forward and placing one finger on this other guy's lips and going, don't say complexity. Leaning really close. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> creepy. <laughs> and uh, the guy asked him why not. And he says it should never be a goal in itself. You may need to use a particular algorithm that adds some complexity, but complexity for the sake of complexity just makes it harder. Um, can I can I bring up the next thing though? Because 
Yeah. He put in um, little parentheses after that one. I was thinking of all the people who I'd heard advocating that the internet would wake up and become an AI when it became sufficiently complex. I was called out by that because I like that used to be one of my pet theories when I was like in high school. <laughs> I didn't necessarily say because complexity, but I think that was what I was thinking about though. That like surely when it you know gains more functions, like it just needs to be bigger. Right. And more complex, like a brain. It's got, like, neurons like a brain, right? That <laughs> and was, then it'll become a brain. That was yeah. totally a thing in high school for me, too. Yep. It is a compelling idea until you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he pointed out that um, what you're doing when you're saying things like complexity or emergence is just skipping over the mysterious part. Um, and that's that's not helpful at all. You need to pay closer attention to that. And is this the one we said? Yeah, this is the one with he where they introduced magic. Uh, so as a a workaround for this, because there were some issues that they like couldn't tackle everything all at once. They had to lay out some things, and they developed this convention that whenever they ran into something that they didn't understand, uh, they would use the word magic, as in X <laughs> magically does Y, to remind themselves that there was an unsolved problem here, and they had to come back to it. And uh, that was, you know, they were like, if you use the word complexity or emergence, that can hide the issue. But if you say magic, then it's really obvious that there is something missing here that you need to go back back to later. I like that. It reminds me of a writing technique where if you are if you have a placeholder when you're, like, writing a first draft to make sure that you see it, use a swear word there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I might, I figured if a friend of mine made that up, or I might have even made that up, but, like, when you're going back and editing, you can't not see it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's that kind of thing that, like, wow, that doesn't belong. Do you remember what uh, Mark Twain said about very and fucking? Uh, which? I, okay, so I think it was Mark Twain, but this may be suffering from the whole, you know, all quotes eventually get attributed to famous people. Uh, he said that you should remove... the. Uh, Everywhere in your document when you're writing, you should replace the word very with the word fucking. Because afterwards, <laughs> your editor will go back and remove the word fucking from everything, and your manuscript will be better. That might have been actually where I got that idea from. Okay. Although I don't think I had heard that before. That does sound like a very Mark Twain thing to do. Yeah. Instead of just saying, don't use the word very, he, he gives more practical advice. <laughs> I think that the application of calling out a mysterious part of the of your plan whatever it is with the word magic is generalizable beyond solving friendly artificial intelligence um like i've i've at least used the technique in in small form like when talking with how to um i'm not architect levels so like when planning out something with a coworker at work and they'd look, all right, well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll find a way to do this or, you know, whatever bus messages from here to there or something. And I'm like, all right, well, uh, it, since that's not a actual implementation, I'm going to, you know, let, let's put magically move this from here to there so that we know that this isn't like a solved part of the, of the, of the architecture yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think complexity is a good word to look out for. And it makes me think of, I have an issue with people using the word just, um, mm-hmm. not as injustice, but, uh, you know, I just wanted to let you know, I mean, even that's actually not so bad. Mainly it's like, if someone says, Oh, that's, uh, just because you're whatever, a Democrat or 
you know, oh, we're we're just atoms, and that's close to like the not mm. near that we've talked about, or at least is in the sequences somewhere. But I find that in most, or like, oh, well, why don't they uh, just go out and get another job or something or whatever yeah. it is? Um, like, so many times when people use the word "just," it's using it's doing a lot of heavy lifting that I don't think they realize that it's using. So I I have this little flag that goes off in my head. Whenever someone uses the word just, kind of the same way that I think Dan Dennett had an article at some point somewhere that said whenever someone uses the word obviously, he also has a big flag that goes off. Simply, that's what it was, yes. I use Um, a lot of, uh, um, I like to read stuff on Blinkist, which is an app that creates, or I guess someone writes them, uh, distillations of long works of fiction. And it's great because it's like, here's an entire novel in bullet form, but it, it gets so obnoxious sometimes when it's like, and how can you do this? Well, simply, you just have to reconfigure your entire life goals and <laughs> and learn to be assertive. It's as easy as that. And it's just like, I I feel like the original author probably didn't put that in there. <laughs> or if they did, then they're douchebag because, like, I just, it drives me nuts. You know, and um, I always hear this with, like, programming. People think programming oh man, there's this stereotype, you know, that programming is hard and boring, but actually it's easy and fun. And I'm like, no. <laughs> if you tell kids that, especially, or if you're like somebody who's not already psyched about learning programming and you tell them it's easy and fun, they're going to try it, find that it's hard and boring and be like, well, I guess I must be an idiot because I'm not, I'm not finding it easy and fun at all. <laughs> uh, that's anyway, sort of. It's a nice combination of all four of those things. <laughs> Probably someone who wrote, like, programming textbooks back in the day is the kind of person who would find programming to be fun, and as an extension of that, probably, like, easy enough to understand in concept that it feels easy and fun to do it, right? Yeah, or you're already at, like, I I learned this when I was trying to teach art lessons for beginners. If you've already, like, reached a certain, like, if you have an art degree, and then you're trying to explain the basics to somebody, it's so easy to just inferential distances again coming all back to the sequences but you can talk right over their head without realizing it i was trying to like teach how to draw the proportions of a human face and i kept having people like raise their hand be like wait go back where do i put the eyes where do the eyes go stop (laughs) (laughs) like they're they're in the middle no you drew them on the forehead surprisingly lower than you think they would be (laughs) yeah i went over that in detail so i was a bit annoyed but it seemed like people weren't listening but also like you have to i don't know from like the perspective of someone who's like obviously this thing but like you really have to hammer something home if it seems unintuitive you know because people are usually trying to draw a face and the face like starts at the eyebrows and ends at the chin so the eyes are way yeah. up and you're like no, you're, you're not, not drawing about a face. the whole skull part yeah. of the head <laughs> but it looks super weird if you put the like eyes way up on the forehead anyway um yeah, I actually feel like um, learning to draw would be a really good, like, I might do that once we start being able to, like, have in-person meetings again, but learning how to see is sort of key to learning how to draw things correctly, and a lot of people see things in symbols, and you don't realize you're doing it until it's pointed out that, like, actually, that's completely anatomically incorrect. Were you looking at the thing? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, no, wait, no, I wasn't. Oh, dear. <laughs> Yeah, when I had someone teach me how to draw a hand, and particularly fingers, I was like, well, that that tells me a lot about how my mind works. That was very interesting. Hands are complex. Mm-hmm. Your brain wants to simplify it into 
I don't know, usually people draw like a bunch of little hot dogs. Yep. <laughs> or like a little exactly popcorn it. thing. <laughs> I don't blame them. Hands are awful. Humans are really hard to draw. Like I actually like to teach people. Okay, we're getting like off topic, but I like to teach people to draw humans or animals because they're the most complex things. Like drawing racks and boxes and whatever is super easy. If you can draw a human, you can draw anything. We're so oh. squishy. <laughs> I can draw small straight lines pretty good, you know, like a Necker cube. <laughs> but I, I really, I've never been, uh, I've never had anything like whatever. And I guess it's probably, I mean, some people have some, no doubt, native talent for it. But, you know, they get there and they make it look easy through lots of hard work. Mm. But, I, you know, I've seen people who can, you know, sit there during notes, you know, in high school, rather than take notes, let's sit there and sketch something. And it comes out looking amazing. And I have no idea how they can put what's in their head onto the page with their fingers. I maybe I'm not dexterous enough. Yeah, exactly. It's practice. But I think that's another thing. And just totally a one sentence aside that like anything that looks effortless, but you try and is really hard. It only looks easy, not because the person who's doing it is like just naturally really good at it, but because they put in a lot of work to make it look that easy. Yeah. And some things look really easy, and you're like, oh, I could do that. And then it turns out to be fucking impossible without lots and lots of practice. I think yeah. juggling is a really easy example to pick up, like, to illustrate this point quickly. Like, watch somebody who's good at juggling for 30 seconds on YouTube or Reddit or whatever. And then, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, they just throw it and catch them. That's easy. And it turns <laughs> out that the word just there is is doing a lot of work. Yes. Um, they, they, they are doing that, but it's the all of the little motions and and uh whatever maneuverings involved that are like i guess sub noticeable those those have a, a lot of hard work there so they're just tracking the trajectory of three balls at the same time and using their two hands to keep them in the air and make sure that they maintain those trajectories at just the right rhythm it's easy <laughs> right all right well, I think that covers these two. Yes. Did you guys have an additional anything to add? I think that was pretty thorough. Yeah, I think I'm good. Okay. For next time, we are covering the posts My Wild and Le- Reckless Youth and <laughs> Failing to Learn from History. Spoiler alert, My Wild and Reckless Youth is not nearly as sordid as it sounds. <laughs> I don't know. It depends how you feel about epistemic hygiene. <laughs> I like the one oh, after the of- other two. Oh, uh, go on. I was going to say, speaking of epistemic hygiene, that's actually a decent tie-in to uh, part of tonight's episode. Oh, yes, it is. Um, I So I have a thought that I have now as a quick lead-in into this episode whenever I see a cop that has pulled someone over on the side of the road. Uh, it's this joke that I heard, and honestly, you guys are going to have to tell me if maybe I should not include this in the episode, like <laughs> edit it out or something. If it's the expensive cops do it. Well, hey, it is, but I think it may be in even too poor taste for that. So uh, the joke is that the modern-day trolley problem is uh, you're driving along, and you see that a cop has pulled someone over on the side of the road. They're standing by their window. And do you just keep driving and let something potentially horrible happen, or do you swerve and hit the cop with your car and potentially <laughs> save dozens of lives? <laughs> That's fucked up. Leave it in. Okay, Stephen. I don't. I think it's too ridiculous to be considered like yeah. a bad. It's thing. like a, it's a dead I mean, baby's joke. It's like obviously, I don't know. I just use the word obviously, and now I'm 
like oh, I, can, I need to get rid of words from my vocabulary again. <laughs> but uh, well, it, it, like you said, it's a dead baby joke in the sense there's there's no way anyone would actually ever do that. I mean, the it's cops' also, dash cam on their on their cars on they would see you hitting them, even if you were seriously considering the idea of murdering somebody, right? Very well. Even yeah, no, I, I think that also like a lot of people are mad at cops right now. Uh, the cops know. I think or, like some of them know. Some of them are very in denial about the fact that like yeah, we we did kind of fuck up a bit here. Now lots of people are mad at us, and I feel like it's almost a sort of little justified poke. Like, a cop themselves might make that sort of joke, kind of cringe at the joke, like, yeah, like, now I know that we have this issue. I think that is the most um, cop-sensitive way to say what you just said, that uh, that they're like, oh, yeah, man, I guess we kind of fucked up, huh? I was like, wow, I've never seen anyone put it so gently. Yeah. So, yeah, what we are talking about now is going to be the, the cop and uh, cop brutality and uh, Black Lives Matter movement thing. Uh, which was somebody on our Discord um, mentioned Sam Harris's podcast, which I had heard uh, just, I think, the day before this was brought up in our podcast or in our Discord. But um, it's what kicked this off. And the and it is, I guess, what we're going to be talking about today. And by I guess, I mean I pushed for it. So, uh, yeah, this is my fault. Uh, but I figured it's something that should probably be addressed. Uh, Sam Harris and his podcast brings up the fact that uh, the crime rate in black neighborhoods and uh, as he puts it like uh, among the black populace is in fact quite a bit higher than uh, in white neighborhoods, which are mostly full of white people. And so (laughs) even though, yeah. And so (laughs) even though uh, cops kill uh, roughly an equal amount of black and white people, uh, slightly higher on the white people, uh, but as everyone keeps pointing out, that is drastically disproportionate because there's six times as many white people than there are black people in the U.S. Uh, but then, as is pointed out by many sources now, including Sam Harris's podcast, there is roughly six times the amount of crime in black neighborhoods than there is in white neighborhoods. So this is not necessarily an overrepresentation of police presence in uh, black neighborhoods if one would assume that the thing you would want a good police commissioner to do is put more cops in high crime areas and not put as many ones in low crime areas, because obviously that was a waste of resources if you do that. Thus the contention being that this may not be about racism at all. This is more about using your resources in the appropriate way based on what the crime rates in different areas are. Uh, before I continue, was there anything I wanted? Did either of you guys want to say anything about this? Yeah, I thought that we were talking about something a bit adjacent to this because I mean Harris talks about that in his episode, which uh, he did put up some links and uh, cites his sources um, a few days after that episode aired. So if anyone's curious, they can listen to that episode and then check out the website for that and follow the the data that he failed to cite when he was doing <laughs> the podcast. Um, I thought we were talking about the discussion on Discord that was mainly around the... Uh, was it the effect- efficacy of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement or... Or slogan in particular. Yes. That the, the, the contention was from one of our Discord members um, that it seems like it's epistemically disingenuous 
for them to say, you know, uh, for like the, the banner behind Black Lives Matter to be, um, you know, stop killing us or, uh, you know, stop uh, overwhelmingly killing us or unfairly, whatever it was. And uh, I thought this was a really fun like I think the conversation went on for about a day and then went off and then came back on for another day. And I thought it ended really well in a, in a nice understanding. And it was um, like the person who brought this up lives outside the U S and while they're right, that shouldn't matter it. I think living in the area of, and I mean, not that I live like in a high crime area or something. I live in a medium low, I'm guessing. Um, I live in West I, you know, Nice. So yeah, you see some stuff. Um, <laughs> oh, I do. But the, like, it, it's what I was trying to ask him was like, you know, you've the, the sense on the ground. Well, all right, I'm getting ahead of myself. My point is like we we're talking about, like, does it make sense for a, uh, a political movement to have a less than like 100% thorough epistemic status on their slogan? Um, or is that misleading and therefore disingenuous slash wrong? Yes, but I thought we couldn't get into that until we started off with this, right? Yeah, I suppose we so. Can do both, I mean, yeah. we could have left we could have left it as vague as possible, but oh, uh, oh, well, okay. No, we, we, there's no there's no <laughs> sense in trying to do that. That'd have been really annoying. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to have to have a conversation about the stuff ca- covered in Harris's podcast. I wanted to talk more about like the sense or nonsense of having overly brief. Uh, messages on your slogans for a political movement yeah as a freelance graphics designer who cares about things like this who has been forced to care about things like this because money and now i actually find myself getting upset about fonts uh it makes a lot of sense for a political movement to have a brief compelling name or slogan or statement (laughs) from a marketing perspective just you want people to have an emotional pull towards what you're trying to say. So stop killing us is a pretty good emotional pull. Mm-hmm. It's hard to, it's hard for really anyone to argue, no, kill us more, you know, like, or that's not a legitimate complaint. I don't think you also could have a long, complicated slogan. It would be hard to fit on a banner. Uh, wouldn't make a good hashtag. People won't remember it. <laughs> I'm not sure, like, if there were alternatives proposed. I, I think as, um, as people who care about having an accurate picture of the world and and truth being represented, it should be kind of important as to whether this is a thing that's actually true or not. Like, for example, if uh, the alt-right, sometimes they there are some people on the far right who say that there's like some kind of white genocide going on. I don't know exactly what their arguments are, and they sound pretty ridiculous from what I've heard, so... Maybe they are just completely crazy. The word genocide is weird, but uh, you could argue that like southern whites are doing pretty bad, like uh, rural. Uh, oh yeah, rural southern white people in certain areas in particular. I totally agree. A great but, time. Yeah, but if someone is saying, you know, stop killing us, there's a white genocide happening. I think the fact that there is not a white genocide happening is actually relevant to the issue. But, like, if you're talking about, say, the opioid epidemic and there was some kind of movement that was, like, stop drugging us, it wouldn't be exactly correct, but I feel like it's hard to get an entire, like, correct statement in one quick phrase or hashtag or banner anyway, and 
I think I don't know. I, I, think, I can see the utility of the slogan. That's what I'm trying to say from the perspective of it being strategic. No, I understand. As as a white person, uh, I see the utility of opposing white genocide because I do not want to be murdered. Um, but that is why an organization that claims there is white genocide, I think it would be in everyone's interests to know that there isn't an actual white genocide happening, right? Like, the truth I, matters. That's one of the... The truth does matter, rest. but uh, did Sam Harris disprove Black Lives Matter's claims? Or did I... I, I didn't read, uh, read... I didn't listen to the podcast episode, but like... Well, no, because he... I mean, he made this point, but the fact that um, that the amount of black people killed is sort of proportional with uh, crime rates in black neighborhoods is sort of besides the point. It's about general police brutality overall. Mm -hmm. And the fact that uh, that one particular number may be in proportion doesn't really capture the actual statistical facts of how police treat minority communities, which is really badly, but it does mm -hmm. capture the... Uh, the emotional aspect behind that. Yeah, uh, are you saying that was what Harris said, or no, no, no? What Harris said that's how the conversation. That was basically how the conversation ended up. Yeah, like basically, yeah. even though uh, the the actual, and we should probably cover the Simpson paradox here uh, if we want to actually get into why the numbers are what they are. Uh, the metric of black people killed may match the greater crime rate in black neighborhoods, but the fact remains that the black neighborhoods are over-policed in terms of the police targeting black people far out of proportion to how much they should be targeted, harassing them a lot, extracting a lot of um, a lot of money out of those communities through fines yeah. and fees in order to fund themselves, and continuing to militarize and make their presence, you know, more and more onerous for people while not actually helping reduce the crime rate very much. Uh, so yeah, it, it is a burden. Uh, it is unfairly uh, and over placed on black communities. And quite honestly, the police need to be fucking reformed for all communities as it is anyway, because police brutality is, brutality is a problem for everyone. So for yeah, a I'm... number of reasons, Harris isn't actually correct on this, but the slogan that they use doesn't quite capture that. Would, I don't know, a better slogan be like, stop the cops. Or... <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, if you want to motivate people, there is no better slogan um, than stop killing us, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Also, like, as a white person, uh, I also am, it doesn't feel like, Black Lives Matter excludes me. Right. It's It was a movement started by black people because they're upset about, you know, being killed all the time. Yeah. <laughs> the other things that you mentioned. Yes, but it was pointed out that uh, the, the over-policing in black neighborhoods is crazy. Uh, black people are pulled over far, far more than white people and have their cops searched far more, uh, much more than the uh, demographics of a neighborhood would suggest. And importantly, the cops, when they stop and frisk black people, uh, they find drugs and weapons at a far lower rate than they do on white people, which means that they are basically stopping a whole lot of black people and harassing them for no reason 
because of this prejudice. Uh, so they are not even correctly implementing their uh, their heuristics of who's more likely to commit crime because they they are getting more negatives off black people. All, all sorts of bad things with uh, what they've been doing. Yeah, and that's what I eventually brought in because it's, it's hard to find statistics on uh, like easily calculatable you know, who's pulled over the most across the country. I'm sure those are out there, but I knew that some of the most salient and obvious statistics came from the uh, stop and frisk in New York. So anyone can Google those and find them. It's the first thing that comes up when you Google uh, stop and frisk. Can uh, I say something about that when you're done? Yeah, of course. Um, But it was like, I I just cut and paste the numbers, then a link to the article. And it was, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was something like tens of thousands of more, people maybe you know i think these were in the hundreds of thousands a year so whatever it was it was many times more uh um, black and latino people were pulled over uh, or rather stopped and frisked by the police and weapons slash drugs were found at a slightly lower rate than among the stopped white population and if this didn't show a bias that wasn't even playing into the favor of stopping crime this clearly showed a bias on the part of the police um and it was it was this fun moment during the conversation where it's like, uh, well, hold on. I would expect then to see like numbers that would show disproportionate uh, stopping of, of minority people or something. And I was like, dude, look at the numbers from from that. And he's like, well, hold on, wait. And they found less. And I was like, yes, that's what these other numbers mean. And they're just like, well, that's fucked up. Why aren't people protesting that? And it's like, bro, that's that's what they're out there protesting. <laughs> that's, that's However, protest. <laughs> in in his defense, that's not what's on the that's not what's on the banners. But it was uh, it was just a nice like kind of uh, getting to watch a light bulb go on in someone's head. You know, it's almost as fun as getting to watch one go off in your own head. <laughs> um, Stephen had been talking about the stop and frisk or statistics on who they pull over more. This reminds me, um, I was actually talking to a friend about cops a little while ago because I had a weird experience with a really friendly cop who pulled me over. On the East Coast, cops are way, like, I don't know, my experiences with cops is just all negative. They're, like, super mean and gruff and have no sense of humor, and I'm always like, oh my god, okay, cops pulling me over, I better make sure not to move my hands off the wheel, and, you know, and, like, but this guy comes over and he's like, hey, I just noticed that your plate's are expired and I know the DMV is closed right now. Things are really hard with COVID. Here's my card. Give me a call if you have any um, trouble with this. But I'm just I'm just pulling people over to let them know the DMV is actually taking appointments and you can go on their way. And I was just like have, having this weird like mental implosion where I was like, is this a police officer? <laughs> <laughs> what what is happening? But uh, so I was talking about this experience with someone in, uh, who's lived here longer than me, and they were like, oh yeah, I have about like maybe about 50% of my experiences here with cops are like that. Cause I was like, is it always like that? Uh, and they're like, but this, there's this other thing that happens where they just like ride up your ass on the road. Like you won't see them and you'll just be driving along doing the speed limit. And suddenly a cop's going like 120, they're on your butt and they're trying to like get you to make a mistake so they can arrest you or something. And I was just like mm-hmm. thinking, well, uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe they're just, I mean, yeah, that's definitely, like, I don't love the fact that they're speeding around in their bullet cars for reasons. But, um, I was like, well, maybe they're just trying to get you to, like, move over so they can go in the passing lane. Like, they're just, and it's like, nope, there was, there was, like, I was in the right lane. I was doing the correct speed limit. 
Uh-huh. And I was like, huh, that's weird behavior. And then I was like, wait, if they put their lights and sirens on, they have to call it in, right? But if they don't, do they? Because I've had cops do this before too, and it's kind of baffling behavior. It does feel like they're just trying to harass you or freak you out. And I don't know if this is true, and I don't know if either of you know this. Maybe if they don't put their lights and sirens on, but you pull over anyway, and then they like search your car and find drugs or something, like then they can call it in, right? But I think if they don't. If they don't put their the... lights and sirens on, that that means that they didn't call it in, right? So they can't like they can't use that as I... a negative. Like it doesn't look like they're pulling a bunch of people over at random. <laughs> If it's not on the um, record. I think that the lights and sirens directly turn on the camera on the car. Uh-huh. And I don't think they have to call in every time they turn their lights and sirens on. Or at least uh, like something about it being on the record. I don't know. Again, this may just be me like con- concocting some conspiracy I, theory. I think the record is that it definitely turns on the dash cam for the car. But this might have been a few years ago statistic back when they couldn't just leave them on all the time. Mm. Um, I would be surprised. I'll, I take that back. I wouldn't be surprised, <laughs> but I would be disappointed if their cameras weren't on all the time in the hood of the car. Uh, it's really easy to, I mean, you know, for a hundred bucks, anyone can get forward and backward cameras on their own car and have those cameras recording all the time. And so I'd be kind of annoyed if our uh, police vehicles weren't outfitted with, you know, muggle technology that was really easily accessible. Uh, that said, uh, I, I think that the, like, it would be weird and stupid to pull somebody over on the highway, especially, well, really at any time, but especially, you know, after dark, um, with your lights off, because that's a great way to get hit. And that's one of the main reasons that the, you know, the lights are on and flash both ways. Um, it's a signal to traffic coming up behind the stopped vehicle. By the way, there's a cop car up here. Don't hit the car that stopped on the side of the road or the people standing next to it. Unless um, you are pulling the lever in the trolley problem. <laughs> right uh which is a I, I mean i guess i just i that even that joke i never like it doesn't it strikes me as much less like yeah of a head scratcher than a real trolley problem yes but um <laughs> I, and, and it's interesting you mentioned like an encounter with a nice police officer and this is something that i've changed my mind about over the last couple of years i can't remember maybe it was during one of the last protests a couple of years ago or something but i remember inyash was on the like no cops are all bad and i was on this side of like no some cops are bad and i've had an update over the you know having analyzed this issue um with people and having nothing to do while sitting at home you know for the last i don't know three thousand years uh during this (laughs) pandemic and um i am now fully on board with the even if you're a good cop the system itself is too fucked up for good cops to really do much yeah um so like yes any individual encounter you might have may or may not be with a nice police officer but they're part of a system that is is overwhelmingly negative yeah, yeah. Um, and also cops, like no. yeah. oh oh well okay i was gonna say yeah good cops do exist and it's great that there are some but the uh, institution as a whole protects all cops very strongly, uh, which mm-hmm. makes it a great place for evil people to go because they can do whatever they want and they know they'll be protected. And so more and more evil people go there, more and more good people can't stomach to be there anymore, and the whole thing rots. Mm-hmm. Well, and the good people get forced out. Yes. You, know, you make complaints about, hey, I watched this officer brutalize somebody, um, and they're, they will – you know, they'll haze you, they'll give you shitty shifts, they'll give you a, a 
whatever uh, a region two hours away from your house to give you a four hour round round uh, way commute. Mm-hmm. Um, or you just have to like whole... watch George Floyd get like knelt on for nine minutes until he like suffocates. Yeah. Or wait, that was George Floyd was the. No, oh, that was George Floyd. That was George yeah. Floyd. That reminds me, we should definitely put in the show notes uh, Dave Chappelle's 30-minute special. Um, I think it's on Netflix, but if not, it's also on YouTube. Uh, it's not really funny. Um, so that, that, you know, hold your laughter there, Jace. Uh, the, um, it, it's, it's mainly a response to all this. And I thought it was really well done. Um, and, I mean, I've never... I have cried watching comedy shows before because they deliver some heavy emotional beats. But, you know, Rachel and I watched this and where I, I guess I wasn't watching her face, but you know, I, I'm assuming she was too, but I mean, I'm crying and then it, then it ends and I'm looking at her and I was like, well, that was uh, really great. Like it was a really beautifully constructed uh, kind of monologue on this that, I don't know. Like I, I think in the special he mentions that he didn't watch the George Floyd video for at least a few days. I'm happy to say I never. I not happy to say. Uh, let me rephrase that. I won't hesitate to say that I have not yet watched it, and I probably won't. Um, I don't think I have the stomach for it, and uh, I I know it's terrible. I know it would wreck my day, and I think it's kind of just like. You know, people who know that their food is made in terrible conditions, but don't want to Google pictures of factory farms. Um, I think it's the same sort of reaction keeping me away from this. But I'm just happy to be like already at the conclusion that I need to be after watching it. Like I wouldn't, I don't think I'd get much more out of watching it yeah. other than sad because I don't like, need persuading. I'm mad enough already. Yeah, like yeah. it's not going to make I'm me mad more at, upset. Yeah, well, I'm mad will, and but... sad enough already um, that I don't need more motivation. Uh, but he, he mentions that he watched it, I think, uh, what was it, 8 minutes and 47 seconds or something? Mm-hmm. He says that was the time on my birth certificate. And Dave Chappelle cool. uh, brings he brings a lot of this home in really great ways. Um, you know, he, he, I know that he, he hits some beats with uh, parts of his humor over the last few years that aren't uh, awesome. But He said some kind of transphobic shit. <laughs> I still like him. Yeah. I like yeah, his I mean, stuff. and... And, and like it's it's kind of like he said transphobic shit. Uh, I, I I I won't I won't get derailed on on that. But it's like I I think that this is uh, perfectly palatable to everybody who um, you know whether whether or not you agree with one hundred percent of his humor all the time or yeah, not. Yeah, I don't uh, agree with the is, idea. This isn't of... really a comedy special. Right. That's why I was laughing when you mentioned it because I was I was just laughing at the fact that you called it a comedy special. I wish I guess it was entitled that but yeah but uh no i don't agree with the idea you know that of people being problematic the way that they would you know using some leftist circles this person's problematic throw out everything they've ever created and nothing they've said is valid and it's just he can have shitty opinions about trans people but great opinions about black lives matter and all kinds of other things and i don't know why uh I don't know. Like, it's like, I wonder if people think that, like, if they watch Dave Chappelle, like, talk about Black Lives Matter, they're going to start becoming transphobic just by osmosis or something. Like, that's you're allowed to have I, your I, own I, opinions, and you can... No, man, that's yeah. how opinions work. You listen to someone, and they become your opinions now. 
I guess. I haven't broadcasted this special to enough people because I haven't like posted on my on my work Slack channel or anything because it's not 100% the kind of thing that you share with work. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I haven't gotten feedback from people who like, oh, I won't watch it because I don't like Dave Chappelle. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's a reaction people get or not. Uh, so I might have said that a few years ago, but... I'll also say that I think problematic is one of those words like complexity <laughs> that I have no idea what the fuck it means. I I, well, I, I take that back. I have some idea what the fuck I think it, it means. means they I'm have pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that the person using the word problematic has no idea what they're talking. I mean, they have not articulated the point they're making. Yeah, they get to just use this lazy catch-all problematic to say this person uh, said something I disagree with or whatever. Right? It's their way of saying boo. Boo this person. They're problematic. Rawr. They've got a black mark on their record. Yeah. So, Jace, you mentioned that um, the thing about the cop, like just pulling up right behind someone and tailing them, trying to get them to do something wrong. That is like that is one of the major problems in all this is that cops basically no one can go a day without breaking some sort of law. And maybe that's exaggerating a bit, but uh, because there's a book called Three Felonies a Day, which I think is an exaggeration. Uh, but, <laughs> is that like uh, the statistic where like you ate oh, several hundred spiders in a year? <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's a there book with spiders, that actual George name. Felonies. Anyway. <laughs> no, but there, I mean, it, with how many laws there are in our society, it is nearly impossible for anyone to simply live a normal life and not break some sort of law on at least a monthly basis. And in particular, uh, traffic infractions, while they're not felonies, are uh, so ubiquitous that most cops, not most cops, a lot of cops have a sort of game where they say, let's just follow any random person until we can pull them over. And it's impossible to not get pulled over within the space of five minutes or so, because there's just so many things. If they're three inches away from your bumper and, like, you're doing the speed limit, that's really intimidating, and you're going to freak out and probably, like, turn without signaling, yeah, slam your brakes on, I don't know. I used to drive an ambulance. People freak out when they see an ambulance coming and don't know what to do. It's kind of a problem, especially, like, you want people to actually just get out of the ambulance's way. But with cops, they want you to fuck up so they can give you a ticket. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the thing. Like, basically, everyone is guilty at all times. So cops can, at any time, pull over anyone they want, which is just a ridiculous thing in our society. We should not have this whole everyone is guilty at all times so that the authorities yeah, stop basically... Frisk. Yeah, the authorities basically choose who they want to target because everyone's guilty. And uh, (laughs) one of my more fun statistics that we picked up over the course of this Discord discussion was that the worse visibility is, the less frequently black people are pulled over. Like, (laughs) on on really bright, sunny days, black people get pulled over a lot. When it's, like, raining, it drops. And, like, during the night, it drops a lot just because the cops can't see who the people are. So they can't target black people as much. It's pretty fucked up. But I think uh, that my was my understanding what... was. Oh, you weren't done. Go ahead. Oh well, that that this last thing was what kind of brought the Discord commenter over when they realized that in America everyone is guilty at all times and the cops can randomly uh, enforce use force on whoever they want for no particular reason. And they're like, that's that's basically you're living in a tyranny. Why aren't people protesting this? And that is when everyone slapped their forehead and was like, what do you think we're doing? Well, and it's this kind of brings it back to the, the central point. Like what they thought we were doing because of the signs was saying 
you know, black people are killing, or excuse me, black people are killed by the police uh, disproportionately. Yeah. And so they they read the signs there, and they you know they weren't here watching the protests, and so they're like, well, hold on, uh, that doesn't seem to actually be the thing. What are they actually complaining about? Um, or that's not, I mean not quite charitable. They were saying like that. Uh, it's not clear to me that their central argument is uh, is frankly true. Yeah. Um, and so what it what it amounts to is that while the the messages that fit on signs to carry at a rally or that fit in hashtags are overly brief. The, the broad message that you get, you know, if you go to their website, if you go to blacklivesmatter.com and hit the about page, uh, it doesn't say anything like, um, I mean, so it, it uses language like, we, you know, we want to protect, I've, I've, I, I should just pull it up, but I hate typing while we're recording. Um, it, it, it uses language that is about as uh, as succinct as it can be. I think the about could probably fit in a tweet, um, but it's it's uh, it's definitely too long to fit on a sign to carry, you know, at City Hall. And so, like, you know, I guess I just need to. Well, two quick things. One, I'm not 100% cognitively present for this recording. It's been a crazy long day, and we're recording later than we've ever recorded. So. Um, if I'm a little jumbled, that's why, but I'm also just, I I need to be perfectly clear before, you know, the opportunity slips by. I'm 100% in favor of the protests and of the black lives matter movement. I, uh, you know, any, any discussion about the, uh, epistemic solid solidity, solidity, you know, whether or not the, the slogan on the signs or whatever is epistemically sound, this, that's more, this is more just like a, a discussion abstracted about that sort of phenomena um i used the example during the discord conversation of like bumper stickers endorsing a political candidate um so i see i told you i was tired um what i'm trying to say (laughs) is that i'm 100 percent in favor of the movement and everything that they're doing and that they're arguing for uh we're having an abstract conversation about like when is it okay to be i don't know less than 100 percent like I said, epistemically sound in your soundbite arguments. See, and I, I think that this is – sorry, go ahead. Okay, I agree with you 100% on being on the side of uh, we need these police reforms. Everything that Black Lives Matter is pushing for is stuff that needs to be done. And, oh, my God, thank God someone is finally doing it. So absolutely with them. On the other hand, you said, like, maybe their slogan isn't 100% accurate as if it was, like, a minor thing. But – from my understanding, like most people get the impression, and even like if I didn't already know what the issue was, if I was from a foreign country and I was going into this cold, I would have the very distinct impression that the issue is that uh, a militarized racist police force is targeting and murdering black people because the, they are racist. I, is that not the impression that you think one would fairly get from the movement? I think that that's uh, that is the impression one would fairly get from the movement, and that's completely not true, right? That that leads to the core contention here. Like, I'm okay with the message that you get from the uh, the quick soundbite without doing any digging in. You know, so if all you see is news coverage of the protests and you see the the signs, I'm okay with the message that people get from that being a little inaccurate because I agree with all of their goals, and I and I realize that that's that's a slippery uh spot to be in but i sort of am okay with that 
are you okay with anyone on the alt-right at all pointing out that what I just stated before is literally factually false and therefore anyone who reads that uh who reads that refutation will then say black lives matter is a bunch of liars why are people supporting them uh, i mean there's nothing that they could possibly say that would convince the alt writers sure but what about people who are in the middle what you said it sounded like you said uh we are protesting against the fact that a militarized police force is killing black people disproportionately or like or because they are racist they are targeting yeah. black people more Yes, there's a racist force out there that is murdering black people. Is that wrong? I think that's I think not... it's an oversimplification for sure, but I mean... I mean, I think it's an oversimplification to the point where, on the face of it, it's wrong. Can you explain more? They aren't uh, death squads created to weed out black people, and not even created. They have not become death squads that try to weed out black people. Uh, even though the result of their absolutely corrupt system that protects uh, what you know used to be pedophile priests and now is murderous cops uh, and needs massive reform and does end up making the lives of black people dangerous and scary and really uh, drastically negatively impacts uh, black communities much more and uh, makes their lives uh, more dangerous – all that is true, but saying, you know, there's this racist government organization murdering black people so is, is, is so far word from for that. Word, That's the impression that you certainly get. I think that that is a fair interpretation of an outsider who didn't know how things actually are on the ground, what they would think. Or just someone in middle America who doesn't watch the news very often and doesn't know a lot of black people. What I want to know is, is it, like, the impetus of the person who is being oppressed to make sure they, like, are doing science and posting statistics and big numbers on their signs while they're doing their protests? Or, like, I think just the way politics are done is that people will oversimplify and come up with a catchy slogan for a much deeper concept, uh, a much deeper issue that has all of these other... Right, and I... Like, I... Yeah, because basically what you were saying was... This is a thing that sucks. It's a, a, like a bad system that does disproportionately affect black people, and it's that's kind of I think the impression I've got is that was what people are saying. I mean, uh, maybe in like much more emotionally charged words, but I don't disagree with that. On the one hand, like I do agree because uh, I believe Zvi has this great post called "You Have Five Words" that says anytime you want to reach more than a thousand people. Uh, maybe more than 10,000, but the more people you try to reach, the less words you have to do it in. And he says, if you're trying to address the nation, you have five words. That's it. Uh, Trump succeeded because he only needed four, make America great again. Uh, or in some cases, three, build the wall, right? You you can <laughs> lock her up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can never have a complex message. Uh, so on the one hand, yes, absolutely. You have to be simple. And also, like, it's really fucking hard to motivate people. And so focusing on the deaths, like lots of times it takes someone being murdered to affect yeah. any change. And then it's and, also the salient <laughs> issue too, the deaths. Like, um... Yeah. And while I agree with you on all that, like in the for the practical purposes, that's why we're doing this, right? To affect change. But I think one of the problems is that for the practical purposes, anyone who can turn around and say, look what they're saying, it's obvious bullshit 
right? Um, that also really hurts the cause. I don't think what they're saying is obvious bullshit. Unless I maybe have been out of the loop. If people have been, like, if people representing the movement have been, like, going up at a podium and going on TV claiming that, like, making up statistics or charts or uh, lying about what is actually happening, but I don't think that they are. They're talking about people who have been killed, uh, like George Floyd. They're talking about, like, events that have happened. Uh, if your five words are racist police murder black people, that's... Is that what they're saying? I'm just saying, is, is that your five words? Because, like, stop killing us, I guess, is their three words, which works, Or but... Black Lives Matter, which... Or Black I Lives think Matter, sure. Also, yes, yes. stop killing us at Black Lives Matter, or just, like, I think, as as slogans go, pretty, like, it, you'd have to be sort of a monster to disagree with those. Right. But they don't uh, imply well, any sort of... That's how good slogans or... work. They certainly, so... they certainly imply, like, as I was saying, that the the impression most people get, or seem to get, is the one I stated before, unless I'm wrong about that. Like, do you not get that impression from their public face? The thing, I don't, because I am, more, like, already here and I'm informed about this. Maybe I could see the possibility that an outsider, someone from another country or whatever, coming in and... And looking at the the press, but then I start to wonder about is it just the media too? Where because is it like is it what the Black Lives Matter representatives are saying that's giving them that impression, or is it the way it's being reported on the sensationalist media? Like I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, but like I don't just want to have this be a podcast where all three of us agree with each other enthusiastically because that's not good air. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 we're not. I'm ready. I can push back on the points on the questions you're raising, Inyash. So like, I am like, like Jace, unable to put myself in a position where I don't know what their actual message is. So I can't quite say what my, what my interpretation would be if I just, you know, got back from the ISS without internet for the last 18 months and then, you know, saw a bunch of headlines or something. Um, so like, I, but I'm willing to even grant, like, okay, let's say they're getting, let's say that the general population is getting the wrong message. Um, it, you know, the, like you said, the alt writers will take the ammunition and go nuts with it, but they'll do that literally no matter what. So I, I don't think that the goal should be make your message palatable enough to persuade the alt writers who are already inclined to disagree with you no matter what. I think that it should be let's try and get attention and get shit done. And so I, I will grant. For the sake of argument, let's say that, yes, it's giving uh, a possibly, or no, not a possibly, that's a dodge. It's giving a, a less than accurate depiction of reality in order to accomplish their goals. Like, in general, that's really, I think, like we mentioned, how, how slogans have to be. You know, and if we could pick an example that we all disagree with, you know, uh, the um, anti-abortionists, you know, stop killing our babies is, is what's on their signs, right? And so that's catchy. It's uh, it is it, it shares a lot of the same problems and so, and a lot of the same strengths. But the problem is, or the difference is, that I disagree with their goal. I do agree with the Black Lives Matter goal. So if their sign says Black Lives Matter or Stop Killing Us, um, I'm kind of fine with it delivering a message to the uninitiated's head that isn't exactly a perfect map to reality because it's achieving goals I care about. Um, I realize this isn't a generalizable philosophy, but I'm, 
I'm just prepared to bite the bullet on that. This this is a, you know, like you you threw you had that throwaway line about like pedophile priests or something. You know, if there was a big movement to strip the Catholic Church of a lot of its like powers and liberties that it's uh, abused for ages, and it's used those to become fabulously wealthy and to abuse children. If they're, if people are marching in the streets saying, stop raping our kids, um, it would be kind of disingenuous because most ki- most people's kids aren't being raped, but they're using that as a shorthand to point a big neon light at the Catholic Church and saying, everyone look at this. Yeah, kids are being raped. It doesn't like imply a number, and I think the, the implication there is like, any, any is too many. And yeah, so cer- certainly in that case... Yeah, and I, well, probably in any case, like, either of the ones that we talked about, right? Um, so, I guess there's that, and I would also just put out the the legitimate question of, like, what is the alternative? If you're going to have a, a rally or a march or something to garner attention, short of carrying a sign with a QR code <laughs> that people can scan to go to your website, is there an alternative other than having a, a slogan that can't perfectly capture the essence of your argument? I'm looking at uh, the George Floyd protest pictures and uh, front and center, there's a, a sign that just says, I can't breathe. <laughs> and another one, I am I next? Those are good signs. Yeah. Well, but the first one's wrong because they can breathe. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being an asshole on purpose. So like, no, it's... but that's my point. It, it, captu- it captures the emotion and it's doing it to an end that I think everybody who's not an alt-right police dictator fascist lover can get behind, right? And I realize I just painted people who disagree with me into a corner, so let me walk that back. But does does that make sense? It does, but I think that's my main problem. Like, I, I don't really care about getting the police, you know, philators, alt-right people on our side anyway, because they never will be. I'm more worried about the people in the middle who uh, see that something that they are not being told the truth to, or that they get that impression, I guess. And that it's the people in the middle that I am more worried about because, you know, they're the ones that are going to decide to go with one side or the other. And I would like them to go with our side. Are you, are you concerned that they will see a sign and then do their own independent research and do some facts and figure facts and figuring with numbers and determine that the sign was misleading and therefore throw the cause out? No, I'm concerned that they will hear someone say that uh, black people are killed at uh, about the same numbers as white people, which is a rate that's six times higher than white people. But since black neighborhoods have crime rates at about six times higher, this is justified. And they will be like, oh, what's what's going on here? Why are why all these protests if things are if resources are being used correctly? I mean, like and so one of the things, too, that came out of the discord is the the number of police encounters per lifetime. Yes. For and we you know, there's there's not. At least during the, you know, I also have these conversations while I'm doing my day job. So, like, I can't spend an hour doing research. So, I didn't find anything to give good numbers on this. But I'm prepared to guess that uh, with, with with a high level of confidence to the uh, to the sake of a, let's say, $100, if anyone wants to twit, give me uh, some right or wrong on this, that black people on average are stopped more by the police than white people. And that's going to be true across every neighborhood no i um, see th- here's the thing is so, like i'm i'm on black lives matter side i'm on your side i want this movement to succeed so like i think that given the number of police encounters go up your odds of being killed by the police go up because you don't die in a police encounter you don't 
die at the hands of the police without encountering them. And so if you're stopped 500 times and the rates of being killed are only one in 10,000 or something, your, your odds of being killed are much higher if you're stopped 500 times than if you're stopped five times. Um, depending on where you live and what kind of lifestyle you, you lead, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't remember the last time I had an altercation with a police officer, uh, maybe once in the last five years. And so, like, if I was stopped three or four times a week on my way to and from work, yeah. uh, it, it, you know, so like the one time where you show impatience, uh, or you, you know, they, they, again, they get you out of their car to feel you up. And you oh, kind of and and, and you show the whole a, uh, Sandra Bland uh, thing again too with the the talking to strangers. That was the whole sort of premise of that book. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm glad it ties in. Um, <laughs> I was going to say just like the, the one time that you show annoyance, and this is one of the things that I drew contention with with Harris's uh, podcast because he's mentioned this before, and is he's correct, but it's so easy to be correct when you're not when this isn't a problem that you really have. So like. What, he, what he's correct about is that if you're stopped by the police, what you should do is cooperate with everything that they're saying. Now, as lots of videos over the last few years have shown, that often gets you, or that doesn't always guarantee that you won't be shot to death on the sidewalk. But, you know, like if you're pulled over and you know you did nothing wrong, what you should do anyway is have your license and registration ready when they come to the window, have your car off, have your keys on the dash, do all the things they taught you in driver safety or somebody should have taught you. Um... Or, you know, if no one taught you Google what to do when I get pulled over and just do those things. Um, but, you know, again, you have the car off, the window down, and you just do what they say and, you know, live with the fact that you're being stopped for no reason. That's what Harris says to do. And then if you're safe, you're detained and you're arrested for nothing that you did. You don't resist. You come back the next day with your lawyer as if everyone can do that. Um, again, that's really easy to say from from Harris's perspective. And it's it's true if you're odds of this happening to you are very low but again if you're the kind of if you're the guy that gets stopped every other day on the way to or from work and it's like okay i'm getting stopped again this is literally you know three hours out of my week that i'm being spent groped by the cops you know this one time i'm gonna tell him to fuck off and keep going to my work going to work then he's gonna tackle you and arrest you and and then you're gonna be you know or your career is ruined forever and i think that's that's exactly what i was trying to get at that like the movement makes it sound like the answer to this problem is to remove racist monsters from the murder force. Uh, But the problem is drastically different. It's exactly what you said. It's a system that is corrupt and that protects bad people and that can uh, harass anyone at any time for any reason, basically. And those are the things we want to change. So the movement may not even fix the problem if all the people who are pushing it who join up get the feeling that what they have to do is fix the problem of murderous racists being in, being in here rather than the system being fucked up and making people's lives miserable in this way. Is that what they're actually calling for? Again, I like I'm looking at their website no. and I see defund the police is the main hashtag here. The things they're calling for are all awesome and uh, would help quite a lot. It's just the messaging behind it that that is less than honest, I guess. I, I again just wonder, is this messaging coming for Black Lives Matter? Is it coming from, like, reporting? And in that case, like, if I just came from, again, yeah, like, I, I don't know, outer space, and I heard 
oh man, people are having some kind of conflict here. And on one side they're saying, I don't know, stop killing black people. On the other side they're saying, end white genocide. I would be like, <laughs> these both seem like pretty incompatible, exaggerated claims of the sort that I would expect the media to report on. Let me actually Google for two seconds to see what they actually are saying. Whether or not they're being like misrepresented or exaggerated or, or even, you know, like it's probably the case that the people in charge of the movement are saying the, you know, defund the police, uh, yeah. do these reform measures. Uh, and then, but maybe, you know, some random person on the street waving a sign is going to say something like cops are racist and, and, and the police. And, but like, but yeah, maybe that person gets interviewed. I don't know. That's not, yeah, like how, how are you going to stop that as black lives matter? And is that really your top priority? <laughs> well, I get the impression that most people aren't like Googling their actual goals and what they're pushing forward in, um, in Congress and instead is that, just is that black lives matter's are... fault though no, well, like, no, what they are, are they responsible what... for fixing the fact that people have the wrong impression like, <laughs> like... What, what i'm saying is what they see is what people are yelling in the protests on the streets and that is you're never going to get people yelling in protests on the street the statistics show that <laughs> no but the, what they are yelling is what people see and the organizers of the protests have some or at least some influence over what gets yelled on the streets right I don't agree that they should be spending their time and resources on trying to organize people in such a way that they are all like yelling the statistics. I think that <laughs> that's not the best use of their resources and time. <laughs> and I just think that this is go always going to be human behavior. Like you have movements that have leaders and all well, this one, I think actually does not have centralized leadership, but maybe that's part of the issue. Well, somebody put out those, uh, those policy goals yeah there there are the articulate uh people who are composing the goals and writing the website and there are the angry people whose like cousin just got shot <laughs> marching yeah. in the street waving a sign and that is how like protests and things like this are just going to happen like I yeah, guess... if we could solve this through civil discourse then that would be ideal of course but we're not living in this ideal world and i just have a hard time holding black lives matter responsible for things that seem like it's not even their fault yeah there's there's this great scene in malcolm x the movie where uh a whole group of like black men show up outside of i think it was a courthouse i don't remember the exact details but they are all really pissed off, but they're all dressed kind of similarly, and Malcolm X is out front, and there's sort of a, a face down with some white authority figures there, and he raises his hand and, like, makes a signal, and all the black men just, like, turn pretty much at the same time and walk away. You know, at first I was like, nothing happened. Why didn't he make something happen? There was an injustice being done. But then I realized, like, he was showing his power. He was like this group of people behind me are doing what I said. And that was a huge demonstration of power to the people he was yeah. speaking with. And I guess, I guess that's what you need. You need like one, you need some sort of leadership that both. has, yeah, you need a leadership that's what I think. that you has. You need Malcolm X and you need Martin Luther King. Well, someone no, no, who need... will give rousing speeches and someone who will. <laughs> no, 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 no. What I'm saying is you need both the leadership, the Malcolm X, who can talk and make demands and negotiate, and you need the large crowd behind him who is willing to do what he says and also show their displeasure. And so maybe you do need a mob that is riled up by slogans which may be incorrect but are emotionally compelling in order that you have that, you know, base of 
people who are angry, who have demonstrated they are willing to loot and burn stuff so that you can negotiate if you have the leadership. And so it doesn't matter entirely what they're yelling as long as what they're yelling keeps them motivated, right? Am I thinking through this right? Like, I'm literally going through this thought process as we're speaking. It had not occurred to me before. It sounds like we need a light lord and people who will take his mark. Yes! Thank you, Stephen! (laughs) Oh my god! Thank you for... And I used used gendered language there because that's what Quirrell used during his Christmas speech. Yeah, right, right, right. Else I was just going to say, there, like, thank you for lightening the, the mood, Stephen. <laughs> this is an upsetting topic, but... Well, and, and I think it's one that... We're kind of on the same page. Like, I, I still well, disagree and, and, with the statement that the signs are factually wrong, because the signs, again, are th- saying, Black Lives Matter, stop killing us, uh, will I be next, I can't breathe. These are not scientific or, like, statistical statements. <laughs> Right. I don't think those are incorrect. I don't think that the the impression someone else takes away from what they have seen in all the chaos is really necessarily what Black Lives Matter needs to be worrying about, at least at the top of their priorities list. I also am sort of, like I said, playing devil's advocate, so I don't... I, I obviously think that honest ep- epistemics is good practice. I just don't think that that's usually how like human behavior works in these kinds of scenarios, and that's maybe the whole like rationalist versus barbarians sequence. I forget if we've even done that one yet. I think it's no, one we haven't yet. gotten there. It's later. But yeah. like, it's a you adapt your strategies for what your goals are, and in this case, like they are not trying, or maybe to some extent, they're trying to resolve this through diplomatic discourse. But like, that hasn't been working. You brought up Malcolm X, and I was just thinking, like, yeah, the original American civil rights movement had incredibly um, articulate, well-organized, non-violent, like, uh, these were, like, model protests, and yet this shit is still happening in 2020, so, like, I can sort of get on the side of the people who are, like, mad. <laughs> like, okay, like, it's 2020, oh my god. Like, we, we've been through this so many times. Well, to be fair, the problems are different. The ones that they had in the 60s... They're different, but they're the same. Yeah. There's still an element of racism here, and that's another thing that I'm wondering. Like, I think that, like, obviously racism is not the only problem, or, um, I don't know, like, maybe even the main problem, but, like, well, with the main problem being more just the militarized, overfunded police that are out of control, but it does affect black people more than most other groups. So, yeah, I... What's my real opinion? <laughs> That's what I'm trying to figure out now, now that I'm kind of, like, taking off the black fedora or whatever. When you're playing Devil's Advocate, you wear a black fedora, right? I need to... I don't know. Like, the thing is that I almost... I have a hard time even talking about some of the other, like, things that I wanted to bring up, where it's just, like, I feel like this isn't even my fight. Like, it's definitely a fight that I support, but, like, I got pulled over by a cop, and... Or I've been pulled over by cops many times, and I've had good and bad experiences, but I've never had like experiences like my Hispanic or black friends have had, where they yeah. get dragged out of the car, or like uh, I had a Hispanic friend who <laughs> was uh, playing a a little keyboard and sitting in his car, uh, waiting to like deliver Christmas presents, uh, and somebody saw him. It was it was in a white neighborhood, and they were like, "He's." 
casing the house for robbery, you know, called the police. The police show up, drag him out of the car, arrest him, slash all of the uh, seats in the car, looking for drugs or whatever, like, impound the car. (laughs) It's just like, and like, yeah, I think they found like a tiny amount of weed in the car, which justified them being able to put him in jail and impound his car. And then like, and this is just like not even one of the worst things I've heard uh, or yeah. I don't want to get into, like, you know, too many. And here's my anecdote. Uh, there's a pattern to the anecdotes that is concerning. And I also don't know how much I even get to really talk about it as someone who's not, like, as directly affected as other people I know. Uh, I think that, um, like, I still, I understand the the contention that the mental model that the uh, the blank slate viewer would get from watching the movement is, like, like you said, Inyash, like, oh, man, I didn't know that, like, the KKK ran the police force. Now they're, they're out there killing black people left and right and willy-nilly. Yeah. Um, I I do think that, depending on what news you watch, that might be the impression you get. Um, I, I'm i with Jace that I don't know if you just, you know, maybe if you even talked to a random a- attendee of one of these rallies, that might be the impression you get. Because maybe they're, uh, maybe they're wrong and they've, they've got a, a, a an incorrect, poorly calibrated statistical analysis of the situation because they're emotionally charged or maybe they're deliberately misleading people because they want to get attention to this very worthy cause. Um, so like, I, again, I, I get how that's kind of a problem. I think, and I, this is kind of a fun conversation because we're all kind of emotionally charged, or at least I don't, I don't know if anyone knows this about listening to me on the show. I rarely get emotionally charged about anything. So uh, for me to have an emotion is is nice and refreshing because I'm dead inside. <laughs> My um, mind is killed right now. But uh, the well, I, I don't think it's wrong to have an emotional reaction to it. If I was so emotional that I was unwilling to engage in discussion or yeah. to we're not uh, straw Vulcans here on the right. Bayesian conspiracy. Or if I, yeah, or <laughs> or if I couldn't see the people I'm I'm disagreeing with as as people or something. If I was that far angry, then I would have a problem. But I think it's right and proper to be mad when. Uh, you know, so if the rallying cry is, um, you know, stop killing us, then the response, and this is actually a quote from, uh, we'll post this in the show notes, uh, Elias Yudkowsky wrote a Medium article called uh, A Comprehensive Reboot of Law Enforcement. And, of course he did. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that oh, either. If you, oh, if you haven't read it, it's 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 really good. I'm sure it's excellent. Um, I'm just laughing because yeah, it's Elias It's a 23... 23 point uh argument or not argument but 23 list items of for uh the agenda of helping solve this problem and uh i any it's not that long of a read i recommend everyone check it out uh if you want to get into some of the longer winded parts of it there's a second link at the bottom and he elaborates on one of his points which was a zero tolerance for deaths of unarmed persons caused by interactions with law enforcement and this is what I really enjoy about like philosophical debate uh, books or essays or whatever is that it's a taught practice that you are to anticipate your opponent's re- uh, responses to your um, arguments and respond to them in advance. And so uh, anyway, I will just read the one paragraph here that I really like from this. He says, I am fundamentally on the side of any faction group or just plain people whose only request is please stop killing us. 
if the response is, but we aren't killing most of you most of the time, statistically speaking, I also support their further request, please kill us even less often, or please kill us so infrequently that we no longer feel afraid. If this requires an extremely low frequency of killing or harsh public public penalties for killing them, so be it. And that is, I think, a really great way to put this. Like, it... It also has the the downside of being too long to put on a sign. Um, you know, maybe you could fit "Please kill us" so infrequently that we no longer feel afraid on a sign. That that actually might work if you have a big sign. Um, it's it doesn't drive the point home for emotional salience to the people taking pictures of the crowd or something, or seeing pictures of the crowd. That is, uh, but that that one sentence I think encapsulates the the marches when they're talking about fear you know they're the 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 deaths specifically involved right it's it's not it's not that like i don't know everybody knows somebody who's been killed by the cops there simply aren't enough police murders for that to be true um again please kill us so infrequently that we no longer feel afraid i am i've mentioned this before i think i when i'm in the right headspace i can get very empathetic to the point where paul bloom would be able to say that's probably a problem um but like I can very easily put myself in the situation and I, and I know that I'm under imagining it and it still puts me in a properly terrified headspace. And that really drives this point home for me. If I'm black and I get pulled over, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen with the rest of my day or the rest of my fucking life. And that is terrifying. And again, if I can get there as a white guy who never sees the cops, it probably helps that I literally never go outside. Um, I think I filled up my gas tank for the first time since January uh, uh, last weekend. <laughs> um, so uh, my ability to be interacted with is less. But um, the the actual fear that lives with people, uh, and just as it is disproportionately people of color, um, that that's that's the core complaint of the of the community i know that it sounds like i'm arguing with somebody who's not like someone who's not here because that's not your that's not your uh, correct me if i'm wrong Inyash, but you're not challenging that no <laughs> you're, you're, exactly so i don't know why I, this is what happens when i get emotionally charged i make points that uh i'm you start fighting an imaginary opponent yeah yes uh, thank you i do that in my head all the time it's such an obnoxious habit i try to catch myself and i notice i'm doing that in my head but i depending on the kind of day i'm having i'm more or less successful with it so I, I guess that's what, what that's what they're saying, but I I because I agree with that, and I can't think of a more succinct way to put it on a sign and march in a group. And I so like that's the thing is like if there was another way to do it, again, a QR code that they could carry around on the sign that actually might work, and it goes to a well thought out. It only needs to be a few paragraphs, you know. It doesn't need to be a book yeah. um, to really drive the point home, but. If you're there trying to get quoted for a headline, you know, what do you say that that is 100% factually true and actually gets people's attention? Can we solve that problem? I don't know. I So maybe I'm just not paying enough attention, but how is it that everyone has this impression of what Black Lives Matter is about, including myself, uh, that is... Who's everyone, by the way? Like, where are you, where are you pulling this from? Is it just Inyash and his typical mind? <laughs> like, cause I, yeah, I have not, I, I don't get the impression that this is. I, I have, um, I don't know. 
wide, I guess, social contacts. I don't even want to say friends necessarily. Some of them are friends. I know a lot of different people all over in various places, and those of them who are not very in touch with the movement at all definitely seem to have this impression. And I don't know if it's from what they've read in news articles or if they've heard people speaking at rallies or where it's coming from, but that seems to be the impression that people outside of any specific movement have. Okay, can I, uh, this might fall totally flat, but my brain just made this association. Um, I don't actually know what J.K. Rowling said that was supposedly transphobic. And I... Chase just revealed that he doesn't listen to the Mind Killers podcast. I am not caught up on any podcasts right now, and it's really upsetting. But uh, the, the thing is that no, I got the impression that she said something horrible, and now she is uh, a bad with a capital B or problematic. Um, exactly. And the thing is, but I know, <laughs> and I think people generally are starting to become more savvy to this, that like the media, all news outlets are just like outrage maximizers or just well, actually click, click maximizers. I expect everything to be exaggerated to the point of ridiculousness. When I see anything in the news, I like, okay, yeah, let's... Uh, Sure, I'll read up on that later and see. Or, or like, in the case of J.K. Rowling, I'm like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> As a trans person, I do not give a shit if J.K. Rowling is transphobic. And, like, probably she said something that, like, my parents, who are, like, pretty uninformed, but well-meaning-ish, might say. And I would just roll my eyes and be like, whatever. Like, you don't, you don't know enough about this for me to care about your opinion. And I'm not taking that into account anyway, like... This is off topic now, but I was just kind of drawing the parallel there of when I hear something, when I like when people have generated enough outrage or interest or morbid curiosity about something that's in the news, I like never take it at face value that this is what happened or like this is the true factual thing. <laughs> yeah, but I got a question for you then. Like, if you have, you've heard of this crazy outrage thing that all these people are pissed off about, and you're like, oh my god, probably more clickbait bullshit, nothing that bad actually happened, and then you hear that there is uh, rioting downtown a few blocks from Colfax, businesses are being burned because of what J.K. Rowling supposedly said, and uh, there's people demanding laws be changed. Um, That's why I didn't look it up, because I don't... That's not happening. It's no, that's not happening. happening. But like, if if those things were happening, and you were like, "Oh my God, all this outrage is over something that isn't actually that outrageous." Stop burning things and stop trying to change laws. Like, that might be a uh, thing for you, right? I just it it might, but I think that Black Lives Matter. What is happening is actually quite outrageous, and I do think that they should change the laws. That like, I, if I looked into it and I found out that it was O.J.K. Rowling said some dumb thing, my mom might say, I'd be like okay, then this is quite a disproportionate reaction, and I would probably, like, be against the protests. Yeah, but what if you looked into uh, in it and case, it turned out that it wasn't the fact that the uh, KKK have taken over the police and are using them as a excuse to again, murder black saying people this. a lot? I mean, no one's saying this, but, like, what is that? That is the impression that you got, and then you looked into it, and that wasn't the case. Wouldn't you be, like, less supportive of Black Lives Matter? No, I would think that people in the news naturally do their thing of exaggeration, but, like, I actually just read the Wikipedia article about the George Floyd protest, and I am quite mad about <laughs> what has happened. Yeah. Um, another thing that uh, 
I should probably disclaim is that my two best friends were in fact killed by a cop. So I have a horse in the race here, or a met appropriate metaphor for being emotionally compromised. Right. I don't know if that um, even counts as compromised. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to find words here, mostly just because it's a million degrees. So hot. <laughs> so, I, I don't know if we have can put a neat bow on this, but um, I am going to just go ahead and try and segue a bit, just because we are uh, nearing the, uh, I don't know, the last bit of our our this section anyway. Um, it, it seems like the problem more is like. How do you succinctly illustrate a message this complicated to a crowd that is uninformed? And that I think that's a hard question to answer. Is that sort of where we're at? I don't know. I don't think, no, I don't ever think that would be what I would try to advocate for. I would be more along the lines of how do I make the general message be more reflective of reality? Even the five-word message be something that I could get behind wholeheartedly so I don't feel like I'm misleading people for good purposes. Because in my opinion, even for the best of purposes, it's not good to mislead people because once they find out you've misled them, you've lost their allyship. Um, I mean, so then, I know we're going to go in a bit of a circle, but like, what is the five-word message that you disagree with? Like, Black Lives Matter. Like, so it's not, it's none of the ones that we've talked about. No, I don't disagree agree with any of the specific words or any of the slogans I've seen. Just the the feeling, and maybe this feeling is entirely something that is due to the news media trying to create outrage. And maybe this is something that we got to take up with the media instead. Then, but the general the general feeling seems to be somewhat misleading, and I don't think. I don't think the average middle American would feel like they were they were given a correct impression of saying. what solutions are are being requested. I, I think I hear what you're saying that they'll they'll hear about this problem and they'll be like, oh my god, that's terrible. And in the in the off chance they do any of their own independent research, they'll say, hold on, that doesn't sound like it actually lines up with what I thought this was saying. Maybe these people are are being uh, misleading. Well, that sucks, and they will they will fall off the wagon of supporting them. Is that the concern? Yeah, and also that I don't I'm not even concerned they're going to do their own research. I'm going to concerned that they will be presented by research by the right because that's going to happen. Like people aren't going to do their own research, but someone with a uh, a horse in the game who wants to keep the police brutal and evil is going to give them this other side, which. While it's also uh, very misrepresentative, um, shows that the other side was like trying to play up their um, play, trying to play to their emotions. I think that both sides are going to be trying to play to people's emotions, and I just don't expect that anyone doesn't know this. I don't know that. Like then again, I might be typical minding with like everyone knows the media is bullshit. Yeah, or maybe <laughs> you are definitely. <laughs> You are definitely typical minding there. <laughs> or maybe I'm just very naive. I think it's a complicated thing. Cause like, and then, you know, just to wrap this up, I think in the next couple of minutes, because there's one more thing we've got to talk about before I finally go to bed, mm -hmm. um, with or without making a last-ditch stab at installing my microwave. Um, the, like, there seems to be a general problem across all political campaigning. And it 
like you, you can't make a quick soundbite headline hashtag etc that reflects reality um like totally uh gives an accurate map of the territory because the territory is uh takes more than five words to describe and so i'm trying to think of a not trump or you know anything from i don't even know what biden's campaign slogan is is it not trump (laughs) literally just Um, not trump (laughs) yeah so like uh this is, I think, going to just be a problem across anything where you are trying to get anything done politically or through the system. And if that's the case, that this is just an a a terrain where epistemic. I wish I'd thought of the right word before we recorded because I I keep stemming I keep st- stammering after this. You know, a, a full wholehearted epistemic understanding is available. It it or excuse me, it might be unavailable across the entire terrain of political campaigning, right? And if that's the case, then that's just the the name of the shitty game, and that's the, those are the shitty rules. But it's the shitty game that we all have a stake in. And so, if you are of the variety who like is just kind of needs an epistemically pure life, then anything involving politics just might not be for you. I, I literally can't think of anything political whatsoever or involving political reform, etc., that can be uh, or that is advocated honestly and very very quickly. Yeah. Anyone got any last thoughts on this? Fuck the police. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, now my 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 brain is thoroughly killed at this point. Um, All right. Speaking of things that are killed, uh, this is late to the party because we do a biweekly podcast, and this happened like two days after our last episode. But uh, for anyone who's listening to this who doesn't already know, which I'm guessing is nobody. Um, Slate Star uh, Codex, that wonderful resource of oh God. Uh, of of thoughtful insight and like hard discussion on every topic under the sun, is gone. Um, Scott Alexander was approached for an interview with the New York Times, and they never got past the initial questions because one of the first ones was probably was along the lines of, "Can we publish your real name?" And he was like, "No, thank you." I published under a pseudonym for a reason. And uh, the long and short of it is that he was told that there is a New York Times policy of using people's real names. He said, please don't. And they're like, well, we're going to. And he's like, then I will delete my blog so that you guys have nothing to report on. And they said, fine, go ahead. So we did. Um, He did, I mean, in the sense that Scott Alexander deleted his blog. Um, You know, it's, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Like on the one hand, it's really annoying because it's now much harder to link to a Slate Star Codex post. Um, you know, a lot of the vocabulary, you know, Moloch. Um, uh, the worst I'm argument difficult... in the world. Right. All of those are Googleable and probably have pages on lesswrong.com. Um, so, like, you can share the vocab with somebody, but you can't link easily to the original post. That said, it's the internet. Nothing is gone forever. Um, the Wayback Machine preserved the entire website. And also and Scott so... wrote... I. I archived it. I'm not a monster. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in the event that he wants to, re- that he's uh, comfortable at some point to restore it, he totally can. It's not uh, obliterated. It's just gone. Um, so like, I, I don't know. My, my immediate thought on this was like, I don't know if that'll do anything because now that, now the article just comes, you know, links to the way back machine post rather than to slatesarcodex.com. Wait, will it? Um, so like, I, I'm just saying it could. I don't think the New York Times. No, they wouldn't. Would do that. 
Why not? Well, is there some rule? I've never just I've... seen that done before. Yeah, not unless they were to change the article about why it is they're linking to this and the blog is gone now. <laughs> yeah, they, they would also have to implicate themselves. It's like, oh, yeah, so, <laughs> by the way, yeah. we, we, we did yeah. this. That's not going to look good for is... them. That is one perk of doing this two weeks late is that they're so far, as far as my as I know, have yet to say a word on this. I know. Um, uh, I I don't know. I hear conspiracy theories, which I'm not going to say what my opinions on them are. <laughs> the, the that like they just wanted to shut Scott up. Their their internal Slack has been uh, leaked to a news source, the Daily Beast or BuzzFeed or one of those. Uh, which showed that a number of uh, people on their staff are pretty upset about this as well. Good. Well, and that's the thing too that I I thought was kind of interesting. Like this this move on Scott's part, and so like this is the thing where like I'm totally prepared to say Scott is smarter than I am and probably did this with foresight, so he he anticipated the uh, the likely consequences. Or it's entirely possible that this was a decision that was... So that, that's what I think is most likely. What's also a possibility is that he just kind of did this out of a rush of like, fuck, I need to kind of get off the grid. Mm. And as part of that move, blew blew the website away. I think he's been thinking um, about this for a long time. I mean, he's even mentioned it. Well, then that's weird because like what happened after this is everyone up to Steven Pinker and Sam Harris and people with aggregate millions of Twitter followers retweeted hey the new york times just you know made scott alexander or, you know basically uh threatened to dox scott alexander and he shut down the wonderful slate star codex so now not only is literally everyone aware of the website people may have, who may have not even known of it before but i think there are and i i got garnered this from uh reddit threads and stuff on slate on r slash slate star codex a lot of people didn't even know that wasn't his real name now granted if you're a longtime reader he explicitly says it's a pseudonym but uh you know, if you if you read the occasional popular post, you'll just think that some guy named actually named Scott Alexander runs a blog called Slate Star Codex. Um, yeah, but he still doesn't have his real name linked to the blog, which was his goal, so he's fine. Right. Yeah, and, he's done, and I think he's that... gone through some effort to try to keep himself like, like a moderately paranoid pseudonymous uh, pseudonymous. That there's a word that I can't pronounce, but um, that word pseudonymous pseudonymous. Yeah. But like because. HIPAA and these therapists, uh, psychiatrists, it's like very reasonable to have expected this is going to be the outcome of him ever becoming famous at some point. He's written about it. I think like the other maybe foreseen, maybe unforeseen fallout is that people are going to be like, oh, who is this guy? And it's not that hard to connect the dots if you try. I, I, I haven't checked. I wonder if I Googled Scott Alexander's real name, if his real name would come up. So I actually have found Scott Alexander's real name. This was like year and a half, two years ago, I was just kind of curious. It's not terribly hard to find if you it are a... It used to be easier to find. Okay, yeah, if you're a religious reader of his blog and you've picked up a lot of, like, small details here and there about his life, uh, it, it at least, yeah, several years ago, it was pretty easy to find. It's probably much harder now, uh, but that doesn't really matter because, first of all, I had to be a religious reader who had picked up a lot of small details over a long period of time, and also... There's no way you can Google Slate Star Codex and get his real name. Like, you have to put effort into it, and that's basically what he wants. To just not make it so that you Google Slate Star Codex and he pops up. 
Yeah, and I think maybe that was the goal. But now I think people will be inclined to maybe look for his real name. I mean, if that's not what he wanted, then that's uh, the exact opposite of what he wanted. I intentionally did not look for it because he requested, like, please don't Google my real name. Uh, I just don't. Well, I don't. That, I that's, prefer be, people that's because not we're it. nice. That's well, because yeah. we're nice and we're not going to. Oh no, but definitely. Like, if people, just if they're a, a person, this hit the front page of r slash out of the loop the day that it happened, and. I don't know how popular that subreddit is. I could check, but I won't because I'm live on the air um, or at least on a hot mic and it's annoying to hear typing, but uh, it's a somewhat very popular subreddit, I think with the hundreds of thousands of subscribers and anyone who's on there saw this post of, oh, what is going on? What's what's Slate Star Codex? Who's this hidden psychiatrist? Um, <laughs> so like, it's, uh, it's interesting. I came across his name happenstance like five years ago, maybe more, whenever we started doing the Less Wrong meetups. Um, and I actually was like, wait, who's this? And they're like, oh, that's Scott Alexander. And I was like, oh, why not just put that? And so um, now we do have that actually on our, uh, whatever, the local meetups Facebook group on that, like, that little primer doc. Um, it used to contain Scott Alexander's real name, but the published version on our website doesn't. So I don't know. I don't have much to add other than like, I wonder what all the fallout will be from this. If this will lead to more people knowing who he is. Um and I mean, obviously, it's worth mentioning the lamenting fact that like Slate Star Codex was a treasure, and the universe is worse off without it. Yeah, not only is it worse off for not having the things that used to be around easily accessible, because uh, they are still accessible with some effort, but having it to go through all the extra hoops really is a pain in the ass, and I dislike that too. But like, it was a community. It was where a lot of less wrong eventually coalesced around after the original less wrong sort of dissipated and much more what really really upsets me is that if slate star codex stays gone it's all the future work that will not be created now it's like if someone had murdered a brilliant scientist when he was in his mid-30s and all those other decades of things that he would have discovered and published on are gone or if someone like killed kurt cobain when he was 27 and all the other decades of groundbreaking music he didn't create. And, uh, you know, and someone did kill him. It was him. And we lost all those decades of music. And that sucks. And this just, to me, feels like the same kind of thing. Like, all the years of amazing shit that Slate Star Codex will have been putting out in the future might never happen now. And that is really what what I find just awful about this whole situation. I have really mixed feelings where... On one hand, I think it would be cool if this did actually lead to Slate Star Codex becoming more widely known. Uh, and then there's also the negative. I, I like just honestly can't understand how, like the, the previous social justice community that I was in, like everyone had this incredibly negative view of Scott Alexander as another capital P problematic, capital B bad person with cuties. Where if you read one of his blog posts now, you have the cuties, and it's just. Well, like, have you read any of his posts? Because he's just the most reasonable, kind person <laughs> willing to bend so far backwards to, like, not offend anyone. Yeah, well, it's because sometimes the reasonable, kind things he said were unwoke, and that's enough to make you liter literal Hitler. Yeah, I've seen these conversations happen in just the last couple of weeks. Um, well, I guess in the last month. I think it was all before Slate Star Codex exploded. Um, but I know some people who would no doubt be rejoicing over it. Oh, yeah, me mm. too. And I don't, you know, and it's... That's just whatever. I don't have the energy this late in the night 
uh, I spent all my emotions for the month uh, on our last conversation. So <laughs> I don't have what it takes to engage with that, you know, sad nonsense. But, you know, if there are people who, you know, that's not to say I agree with literally everything he's put to the page, but I've loved all of it. Yeah. You know, if that makes sense. Um, it's, uh, if I don't agree with it, it's for really like, it, I find myself even more engaged with it and that's a rewarding experience. And yeah. more often than not, I do agree with it. In fact, more often than either of those things, I'm just learning something completely new. Yeah. Oh my God. The amount of that. like the, the amount of stuff I've learned from Slate Strike Codex is just like probably more than I would have learned in like if I went to college and got like a bachelor's degree in psychiatry about like, especially the stuff about uh, the surfing uncertainty now I'm blanking on words again, but that that whole thing. Yeah, it was just earlier this year that we did his uh, conflict versus mistake theory on this podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, and there's just so many excellent ideas and concepts that he's brought up, or even like. But uh, I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised if in like a couple of weeks there's like a blog titled something that's a pun or an anagram of Slate Star Codex, <laughs> written by some other pseudonym person that sounds a lot like scott does anyone remember the last psychiatrist alex scottskerson <laughs> yeah i was i was talking about that actually the friend who messaged me when he heard about this and he was like this is you know saying all the same things like this is a fucking tragedy and it's you know the this is a resource now lost forever and it's that's you know i can't link my friends to the you know uh the meditations on moloch or whatever and i was like you know i think that in the in the in the in the future outcome where uh, the blog stays dead, you know, keep your eyes open for a burgeoning new rationalist blog with a different author's name. I I, I so. can't imagine. I, I think it would be weird. I, and I, I only say that because like, he seems like the person who doesn't just like really, really enjoy writing posts, but I feel like he has like a drive to do yeah. it, which maybe is part of what makes you enjoy it. I don't think that he'll stop writing. Uh, I think he might take a break. I think he, like, if, uh... needs a... He deserves a vacation. It was one of my, like, first thoughts that, like, a jumble of thoughts jumped into my head when I saw that this had happened, but one of them was, like, I hope he, like, goes to Hawaii and, like, sips some margaritas <laughs> on the beach for a bit, because, like, we should, like, start a GoFundMe to just send Scott Alexander on a nice vacation as a community. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope he's well enough off being, a, you know, having been a doctor for this many years, and I'm not sure what the ad revenue is from Slate Star Codex, but I hope he doesn't need to go fund me to take a vacation. Um, but he might you know, need, like, vacations. the encouragement. <laughs> well, we, we, should, we should start a, uh, a, what's that, a change.org petition. Say, <laughs> Scott, take a vacation. <laughs> Please be kind to yourself. Do some self-care. Right. Yeah, I'm sure he's on, up on the literature on all that stuff, too, so... Mm. Um, I, I want to mention, oh, I have, I have one more thing to add. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe his Tumblr, Slight Star Scratch Pad, still exists. He'll probably keep posting there. I feel like it's fine to share that with the Bayesian conspiracy community, and I doubt that it's going to get back to the New York Times or that they're going to be able to do anything about it. And also, you'd have to go through two hours of a podcast to get to this, so... <laughs> Who wants to listen to us for that long? Right. Only all those people on Discord... Sometimes I'm just like, why? Why are you here? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> These people who inexplicably like to listen to us ramble. I like listening to us ramble, though. I think we're pretty good at it. All right, shall we wrap up then? Let's I think so. Super do that. It's late. Cool. I know we usually thank a patron 
Um, I was thinking maybe this time, can we just thank Scott Alexander for all the work he's done for the Ranchlist community? I... Yeah, what? 100%. He's done a lot. He's I think that been makes sense. A, a guiding light for a long time, and he's like really helped a lot of communities grow up across the nation, probably even across the world, with uh, his Slate Star Codex meetups and the the having that focal point on his website where people can say, hey, I'm in this city, is there a meetup near me, has really helped um, people get to know other rationalists in their area. And that's that's awesome, too. So thank you for everything you've done, Scott. I know you're probably not listening to this, but God, <laughs> we appreciate it so much. And I hope this ends quickly and in your favor, because I, I want more Slate Star Codex and the New York Times can die in a fire for all I care. For real. I think you said that on the on the Mind Killer, right, Inyash, that they would prefer a world where the where Slate Star Codex existed over a world where the New York Times existed. If yes. we had to pick one, yeah. Honestly, I like, might agree with you. I, I agree so hard with that. I the amount of value that I get out of every Slate Star Codex post, they're funny, they're educational, <laughs> they raise good questions, and promote excellent discourse. And then there's the New York Times. Which does like some of those things some of the time, maybe. Yeah. And then they randomly dox good people for no reason. Or threaten to. I guess they haven't actually done it yet. Yeah, and we didn't get into all the convoluted nonsense of like, does this count as doxing or, you know, what is pseudonymity or whatever. Um, uh, like, that all that's aside. The, the... Long episode yeah, exactly. that we married and, and I'm, I'm kind of just fine totally ignoring that and just saying like look he asked you not to you said you'd do it anyway so now the blog is gone so you're, that's kind of a fucked up bully move of you guys to pull mm. um so yeah three cheers for scott alexander i hope you continue to you know create stuff for the world but if you want to lay low for a while we totally get it and uh you know the i am prepared to guess i was gonna say speak for but i'm prepared to guess that the entire rationalist community is 100 percent behind you and uh you know I, I imagine right now it's just kind of like a PR storm over at the New York Times trying to figure out how do we defuse this without saying we did anything wrong. <laughs> so when they finally come forward with their uh, conciliatory but non-guilt-expressing uh, statement, then we all come out winners. So Hell yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it shakes out. I'm very curious to see how it shakes out. All right. Well, I think that's the end of the episode, unless anyone has anything else. No, just reminders that we're doing My Wild and Reckless Youth and Failing to Learn from History. And do check the show notes for some stuff this episode. We're going to link at least to the Dave Chappelle Chappelle special and the Yudkowsky medium essay on uh, police reform. And probably whatever else we can think of. Check the show notes. Oh, and I need to mention once in a while during the episodes, the link to our Discord is in the show notes for every episode. Um, Once in a while, you know, rarely, but totally worth enough to mention it on the air. I'm asked, like, how do I find the Discord? It is in the show notes for the episode. So if you want to have these conversations uh, with people and not just listen to people talk about it every couple of weeks, uh, you can find us live and find uh, dozens of active people and hundreds of lurkers on our Discord. So hang out with us there. It's also linked right at the top of our webpage, thebasianconspiracy.com. There we go. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye, everybody. Bye. See ya.